Hear the word of God from Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 15. These readings come from the Common English Bible, and you can find them on page 257 in the Pew Bible. My goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love, so that they might have all the riches of assurance that come with understanding, so that they might have the knowledge of the secret plan of God, namely Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. I'm telling you this so that no one deceives you with convincing arguments, because even though I am absent physically, I'm with you in spirit. I'm happy to see the discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. So live in Christ Jesus the Lord in the same way as you received him. Be rooted and built up in him. Be established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving just as you were taught. See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conforms to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts, rather than Christ. All the fullness of deity lives in Christ's body, and you have been filled by him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised by him. This wasn't performed by human hands, The whole body was removed through this circumcision by Christ. You were buried with him through baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead because of the things you had done wrong and because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Times this morning is our collective memory of the events of 15 years ago today. All of us can remember where we were on 9-11, 2001. And as much as things have changed over the past 15 years, we can also affirm that a lot has, in fact, stayed the same. We still now, as before, pay dutiful respect to those who lost their lives on that fateful day. We still now, as before, pay great honor and respect to the women and men who lay down their lives for the common civic good as police officers, firefighters, and first responders whose first instinct in a tragedy like this is to run toward the catastrophe rather than to run away from it. We still today, as before, have way too much violence in the world. Way too many people on this planet whose first instinct is to kill one another rather than to forgive. And we have far too many innocent lives that are still lost. And we still today, just as before, have this event so deeply etched and embedded into our collective memory that we will never forget what happened 15 years ago today. And in fact, we will continue to tell the stories of what happened on 9-11 to future generations so that its memory gets propagated to our descendants. In many ways, the Christians 
of the Colossian church. The people in ancient Colossae might identify with us. Because at the time that Paul was writing them their letter, they could easily identify with much of what we are experiencing in this moment. Because they were living in the wake of their very own memories, of their very own unique 9-11 experience. 600 years prior to Paul, the ancient Israelites living in the southern kingdom of Judah saw their very own twin towers and Pentagon fall in the form of the great temple in Jerusalem. That for them was the epicenter of all of their economic and political and military and spiritual power. And in one fell swoop, a Babylonian empire came in and destroyed that temple and razed it to the ground and took all of those Israelites in the southern kingdom and whisked them away thousands of miles into a foreign land to begin this terrible, tragic period in Israelite history called the Exile. All that they had known and believed had been upended And their lives were changed forever, and there was no way they were going to forget it, and no way they were going to stop telling their descendants about their own 9-11 experience. Years later, a great emperor named Antiochus the Great took a number of those former exiles, 2,000 of those descendants of the great exile, and collected them gathered them together and decided to place them in a brand new city that was just forming, a city called Colossae, a new home for these 2,000 descendants of the exile who were still remembering all that their ancestors had gone through, now living in this brand new city that was rapidly changing all around them, a mixture of ethnicities and cultures, competing philosophies and ideas, All of it in the mixture of rapid technological change and massive new growth with these memories of this tragedy still etched in their collective conscience. In other words, the book of Colossians is a book for us. The world that Paul was writing to in this city is a lot like the world that you and I are living in today. That might explain why chief among Paul's interests to the Colossians church, in the midst of all of the swirl and whirl and chaos of their lives, Paul's chief intention for the Colossian church was to remind them that nothing else mattered in the world around them except what was in their center. Because if the center of their community... If the center of their theology, if the center of their lives can hold, then they would be able to hang together come what may. And that's why, more than any of the other of Paul's epistles, Paul spends more time and more ink on answering the question of what should be at the center than any of the other epistles. And it's eminently clear who and what he believes should be at the center of the Colossians' life simply by looking in the first chapter. 
The only center that will hold is Jesus Christ. And that is the question that confronts us this morning. What's at the center of your life? In fact, if we were to broaden it one more step, what is at the center of this congregation? With all of our differences, with all of our beautiful different stories and backgrounds, with all of the whirl and swirl of chaos in the world today, what is it that will define the core of Hyde Park United Methodist Church and will that core remain fixed? Many of us have driven past the port of Tampa many times. Some of us drive by there every single day. You know that what happens at the port of Tampa is these giant, massive ships, these barges come in and out of that port to conduct daily commerce. If you've ever seen one of these ships up close, below the surface of the water, you know that what drives these giant ships are these great big turbine engines that kick out the water so that the boat can move forward. You don't have to have seen one of these up close to imagine what these things look like. Big, giant fan blades that are connected to a central shaft that are then connected to an engine. You see these on a smaller scale all the time, an oscillating fan or an a airplane propeller engine or a, or a beanie hat. Now, I'm imagining all of you with beanie hats. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the premise is this, that despite the fact that these giant turbine engines on these huge ships are rotating at massive speeds, at incredible velocities, rotating at incredible, incredible speeds, Somehow, the thing stays together instead of flying apart, all because of that central shaft. It's what reminded me this past week of a lesson that my old college physics teacher once taught me about uh, 20 years ago when I was in college. In fact, two weeks ago, I got back in touch with him just to make sure that what he taught me in that physics class was still really true, or if I had just made it up in my head. What he reminded me of is that in theoretical physics, there is actually a center line that runs down the very center of that shaft, that even though there's movement at high velocities around that shaft, that center line, theoretically speaking, remains absolutely still. It doesn't move. Regardless of how fast those fan blades are moving, that center line remains perfectly fixed. And the truth is that if there were any variation whatsoever, if there's any vibration, any shudder or shake, then then all of a sudden that shaft would break and the blades would blow apart and the turbine engine would freeze and those boats would stand still. What really matters in these big turbine engines is whether or not the center will hold. 
You know what I imagine when I look at all of us here in the sanctuary this morning? I'm picturing hundreds and hundreds of funky-looking turbine engines when I see you. Some of you all funkier looking than others. Because the truth of the matter is, all of our lives are affected by chaos, by the swirl and whirl and whirlwind of life around us. There is not a single person in this room that is immune to the chaos of life. All of us have something that is pulling at us, that is pushing at us, that's making our lives spin around. We all have dozens and dozens of fan blades that are connected to us, and they're all pushing and pulling for our attention and our energy, and they're threatening to pull our entire existence apart. The same principle applies. What is the one thing that will keep our lives from flying apart despite the chaos of life? It's what's in the center. If your center will hold, then life can spin away all it wants. And Paul recognized that if that's true of individual people, then it is equally true, perhaps more importantly true, for a collective community of faith like this one, for a church. Paul was envisioning in his mind the reality that a church, a local congregation itself, is like a giant turbine engine. And particularly when it's in a culture that is deeply and rhetorically polarized. There are lots of fan blades that would be competing for our attention, threatening to define who we are, and then that center wouldn't hold. What would we do with all of the competing influences in our world today, especially during a presidential election season. What is the one thing that will help us hold it all together despite our differences, despite our different perspectives and worldviews, despite our different political affiliations, despite our different viewpoints on the major hotbed issues of our day? What is it that will keep this whole church, Hyde Park United Methodist, from flying apart? And Paul would say, it all demands, it all depends on what's in your core. And so this morning, I'd like for us to remember what is at our center. The good news is, I don't have to make up an answer for you. I didn't have to write a new one this past week. All I had to do was to tap into the DNA of this church and to look for that center in a statement, in a series of statements that was adopted by this church over 20 years ago. And what it is, is our core values. Our six core values. Our, our set of six hyphenated statements that collectively constitute the very center of who we are. And friends, if we ever wonder what it is that makes Hyde Park United Methodist distinct, if we ever want to describe to someone else on the outside of the church what sets this church apart 
not just from other denominations, but even from other United Methodist churches, with all the answers that we could give, my favorite one, and in my view the only one that we can give, is to tell them those six values that constitute our core. It is so important to me in terms of my own understanding and appreciation of this congregation that I'm serving that I want to begin this fall, this new ministry year together, remembering what's at the core of our existence. So that's why over the next six weeks we will dig more deeply into every one of these six statements. That's why in your bulletin this morning there is that handy card that will show you and will remind you throughout these upcoming weeks what these six core values are. And they are, in particular order, Christ-centered, biblically rooted, warm-hearted, Open-minded, mission-directed, connection-committed. It is my hope that by the end of these six weeks, by the time this month-and-a-half worship series is over, you will have committed these six values to memory so that they can be as deeply embedded into the cultural jargon of this congregation as making God's love real. So that when you are talking to people out there in the community about what makes Hyde Park unique, you'll be able to share with them these six values that are uniquely who we are. I'd love for you to memorize them and to share them. But if you're a lot like me, it's hard to memorize a list of six. You ask me who the seven dwarves are, I can't get them all. I always wind up grumpy and feeling a little dopey. You ask me what the Ten Commandments are, I always forget one. You ask me about the 50 states, I always miss one up there in the northwest or the northeast. You ask me the countries of South America, with all wonderful respect to our Argentinian friends, I, that's what Google is for, I'll just look them up that way. So you ask me to memorize a list of six, it takes me some effort. And I'd like to think I'm not alone. So that's why I'd like to make it a little easier for us. To not think of it as memorizing a list of six, but three pairs of two. We can do that. And to do that, I'd like to introduce to you one of the most famous sayings in all of our Wesleyan heritage. One of those statements that has lingered and defined who we are as a Methodist movement that is often attributed to John Wesley himself, but the reality is John Wesley may not have said it. It may have been just attributed to him, and its roots actually may have been thousands of years prior to him. But still, it's who we are. And the statement goes like this. In essentials... Unity, in non essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. I love that. I love the way that you can almost imagine those three lines as separate concentric circles, beginning with the centermost circle, that which is our essential core, our identity. It is that which all of us should have in common. 
that is non-compromisable, that is non-negotiable, all of us who are part of this church community here at Hyde Park have as a common part of our essentials two things. That we are all united in two primary values. One, that we are all Christ-centered. And two, that we are biblically rooted. I'll say it even more simply. At our core... We believe in Jesus and the Bible. And if there's any variability in that for any of us, then this may not be the right church for us. But for all of us who are part of this congregation, it is a non-negotiable. We believe in Jesus and the Bible. We believe that Jesus is at the center of our faith and that in him constitutes our only way for salvation and our only connection with God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God our Savior for the whole world. And the Bible constitutes our primary scriptural authority that in it is the way that we discover the truths of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. In essentials, unity. You know what's great about that? Is that once we can define our essentials, we can learn to live in freedom with each other in the non-essentials. In all of those various fan blades that would pull at our attention and compete for our loyalties, we can, as John Wesley did say, think and let think. We can allow for variability and difference and diversity and find in our differences a beautiful kind of harmony among all of those things that are not constituting the essentials of our faith, which means that we can be warm-hearted. We can be open to a diversity of people from all walks of life, from various stories and backgrounds. We can be open and welcoming to them, not just tolerant of them, but accepting of them, welcoming them, seeing the image of God in them as fellow children of God. To be warm-hearted means we can be open to a diversity of people. And then to be open-minded means we can be open to a diversity of ideas, of perspectives, of opinions, of ideologies, of political parties, that we can even choose to be Democrats and Republicans and Independents and Libertarians and Green Party people all coexisting in the same pews together. Which also means we can choose to use our brains and science and intellect rather than checking them when we come into the door. We can be open to a diversity of people, warm-hearted, and we can be open to a diversity of ideas, open-minded. Because in non-essentials, liberty. And then, as the saying goes, all things, in all things, charity. Nothing else matters if it isn't done in love, as Paul would say. And it is this love that drives us to making that love real to people far beyond the walls and boundaries of this church. As a mission-directed people, we believe that our primary focus is not on ourselves, but in the vast, great world that God has given to us to serve. And that we can be connection-committed, which means reaching out in connection to the global body of Jesus Christ and not feel like we have to do all of this on our own. 
in essentials, unity, Christ-centered and biblically rooted. In non-essentials, liberty, warm-hearted and open-minded, but in all things love, in all things charity, as a mission-directed and connection-committed people. And Paul would say to the Colossian church and to all of us today that there is only one center that will hold And it was in the scripture passage that Sheila read for us moments ago. He said, brothers and sisters, live then in this way, rooted in Jesus Christ, built up in him, established in the faith with great thanksgiving in your hearts. If you come to this place at all this morning, tired, fatigued, by the continuing, rotating, oscillating spin of all the fans that are blowing all around you. And perhaps what you need today is to reaffirm your commitment to what is most essential, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask yourself what truly is at the center of your life this morning, because if it is something that will not hold... It will not matter, but if it is Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, then bring it on, world. This life can spin all at once, but Jesus will be that center for you, just as Jesus is the center for all of us. Let's pray. Oh God, we confess to you all of those things that we have placed at our center only to discover how variable those are. You have seen us in the turbulence of our times, struggling and vacillating. Remind us of your love given to us in the person of Jesus. And guide us in renewing our commitment to him so that we can move forward and not stay still. We thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, and for this community of faith, for all that we hold in common, and for all that makes us so beautifully diverse. We thank you for bringing us together. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.